Our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 32. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to him, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather me, gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Good day, everyone. Um to be back with you again. We enjoyed a couple of weeks. Thanks for, especially to those who jumped up and helped out while we were gone. Um, really appreciate it. Have you ever noticed with um, a lot of the stories we tell today, so think about our, our movies, our TV shows, our books, have you ever noticed how revenge plays a big part in a lot of these stories? Um, let me give you some examples of what I meant. Uh, I was a big fan of Arnie movies. Has anyone seen an Arnie movie? Yeah, everyone's seen an Arnie movie. You know the basic story. There's bad guys, there's Arnie, he gets revenge on the bad guys. That's the whole thing. It's all about him. Uh, My wife and I watched a uh, show on the ABC recently called Total Control. It's about an indigenous woman. Uh, She's in politics and she's often mistreated. And a lot of the show is about how she gets revenge on those who've done her wrong, how she turns the tables and outmaneuvers them to become out a winner. I used to read a series of books that follow this one character. His name is Jack Reacher. He's a drifter. He wanders around all parts of the United States. And he always finds himself being dragged into these situations where he comes across a bunch of people who've been wronged and he, he becomes the one who gets revenge for them. A lot of our stories today revolve around revenge. It's a big theme. And I can't remember what I was watching. It was some TV show. I can't exactly remember which one, but I I can remember what was going on in my head at the time. In the TV show, there's good guys and bad guys. And as I was sitting, I remember thinking to myself, watching the TV show, I really hope that the bad guys don't reconcile with the good guys. I, I really don't want the bad guys to change and become decent, redeemable characters. What I really want here is to see the good guys get some revenge. I want to see them get their teeth sunk into them. And I caught myself thinking this, and I realized, hang on, is that really what I want? Is that really what's going to be best here? 
Revenge has a, a big part in so many of the stories that we tell today. And our emotions can get caught up in this idea of, of revenge. And I think deep down, we, we like seeing people who deserve something bad to happen. We like seeing them get what they deserve. And yet the message of the Bible is something very different to that, isn't it? The big message of the Bible is one of forgiveness. God not taking revenge on us for mistreating him, for mistreating other people he made, for mistreating the world that he made. The big message of the Bible is God offering forgiveness to us. Here's the thing. I think most of us have times in life where we're never really confident that we will be forgiven. I mean, you might have been a follower of Jesus all your life, but still you can wonder to yourself, will God really forgive me? I know the things in my past. Will God really forgive me? You might be here today and you're not even quite sure about this whole Jesus thing, but still you can wonder to yourself, if there really is a God, I'm not sure he'd be okay with me. Would he really be okay with my past? And I wonder if part of the reason we're so unsure about forgiveness, why we can worry about forgiveness, is because we're so used to these stories of revenge uh, and how justice needs to be done. So this idea of forgiveness, that, that I could be forgiven, even though I know my history, it can really seem impossible to us at times. And then we come to a passage like the one that Jen just read for us. And we hear Jesus talk about this thing, this unforgivable sin. And it can be easy for those fears to creep back in. What if I've done that? What if forgiveness won't come to me? What if God won't forgive me? The feelings of guilt and shame can come back on us. And we can wonder, will God really forgive me? At church, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew, uh, part of the Bible that's kind of like a, a biography of Jesus' life. And we're, kind of, we're still in Matthew today, but we're going to press pause a little bit just to answer that question. Uh, what is this unforgivable sin that Jesus is talking about here? And in light of that, can I ever be really confident that God will forgive me? That's where we're headed today. So let's start with that first question then. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, particularly in verse 31 to 32, it's there in your outlines. Jesus talks about this unforgivable sin. But just what does he mean by that? And to understand this, we don't need just to look at those two verses. We've got to see what's happening around this. We've got to see what's happened in the lead up to Jesus saying these words. And it all starts in verse 22. In verse 22, we come across Jesus, and he, he comes across a demon-possessed man, and he heals this man. This man can now see, and he can hear. And we're told for this guy, the underlying problem was there was a demon possession going on. And it's not saying there that everyone who's deaf or blind uh, has a demon. That's, that's not what it's saying. But in this particular case, that was the problem. And so Jesus heals this man, which is a clear display of Jesus' power and authority. It's actually the kind of power and authority we've seen in Jesus a number of times already in Matthew. 
And and at this stage, in chapter 12, people are starting to take notice. So they, they wonder in verse 23, they say to themselves, Could this be the son of David? Could Jesus be this great king we've been waiting for? The one who was put to us. The one who's going to come and free us from our enemies and lead us into a great age of prosperity. Could, could Jesus be this king, son of David? That's what the people are saying amongst themselves. But the Pharisees, well, they've got a different take on things. The religious leaders, they're not quite on the same page. They say, no, 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 no. Jesus isn't doing this because he's the son of David. No, that's not where he gets his power. Jesus gets his power from Satan. Look at verse 24. They say, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Basically, they're accusing Jesus of of witchcraft and sorcery. The implication is clear. Jesus isn't the great king you're looking out for. He's demonic. Jesus is satanic. He's evil. So you ought to steer clear of this Jesus guy. And just for us, I want to press pause on this for a moment. We need to really see what's going on here. The Pharisees, right, they've got front row tickets to see what Jesus is doing. They clearly see the authority that Jesus has here, but they deny it. They, they say it's evil. They see the power of God at work, and they say, no, 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 no. That is satanic. And it's not the first time they've done this either. Back at the end of chapter 9, we hear the same accusations come from them. In chapter 9, verse 34, it says, But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. See, this is a big accusation made against Jesus. And it's a repeated accusation made against Jesus. How does Jesus respond to this then? Well, I don't have time to go into a lot of depth here. But for now, just just quickly going over it. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus shows that their accusations actually don't make any sense at all. And then in verse 27, he says, "You, you aren't even applying these accusations equally to everyone. But then Jesus goes on to offer a different explanation of what is happening. He kind of says, well, what if I'm not using demonic power? What if I really am doing this by the power of God? Verse 28, Jesus says, But if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then I really am this son of David, this great king. And he goes on in verse 29 to say that he's the strong man. He's the one who opposes Satan and can restrain Satan to tie him up, to stop his work. That's the power that Jesus has. Jesus is saying, my, my, my power and authority, is, it doesn't come from uh, a demon. It doesn't come from Satan. But I'm bringing God's kingdom because my power comes from God. I can drive out demons because God's Holy Spirit is at work through me. You Pharisees, you you couldn't be more wrong about what you're seeing. That's the situation. That's the background. That's what's happening. And it's into this situation that Jesus speaks about the unforgivable sin. So let me read out those two verses again. It's verse 31 and 32. Have a look at it. Read along with me. This is what Jesus says. 
And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So there's this unforgivable sin, and here it's called uh, blasphemy against the Spirit, or speaking against the Holy Spirit. It's, this un- it's called the unforgivable sin, but, 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 but what is it? How would you do it? How would you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Now this is why it's really important that we read what happened just before. Because what happened just before is exactly this. We've seen what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what the Pharisees did here. They saw what Jesus did. They saw the powerful work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, but they denied it. And they called it evil. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this refusal to accept the power of God at work. It's a denial of the goodness of God. And in essence, then, it's, it's a hardened unwillingness to recognize that God is at work by his Spirit. You'll find any other explanation because you're so hardened to the idea that God is at work. This is the thing that Jesus says is unforgivable. Let me spell out a couple of implications for that. When I first read this as a younger Christian, I kind of was thinking to myself, this unforgivable sin, what if I do that by accident? Um, you know, I, 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 one day I just make a mistake and, and say the wrong thing and suddenly I've got the rest of eternity to regret doing that. But you can see it's not like that at all. Isn't it? This is not something you can do by accident. As we talked about, Kieran said, my family just got back from holidays. We spent uh, uh, some time down in a little cabin at West Beach. It was really nice. And we were staying, they had this um, huge inflatable jumping pillow, kind of like from, from, from me to the back wall and as wide as this place. A big jumping pillow that is inflated and you just bounce around on it. And my son Isaac, he's nearly three, a lot of you will know him, he loved this thing, right? Um, he wanted to be on it all the time, basically. Every morning you'd go in and he'd wake up and he'd say, can I go on jumping pillow now? And um, he loved it. But a couple of times while we were away, I would ask him, Isaac, do you want to go to the jumping pillow now? And he would say, no. It was a mistake. He actually did want to go. And so very quickly he corrected himself and said, no, no, I do. I want to go. And so off we'd go to the jumping pillow. Saying something by mistake, it didn't mean that he missed out. And that's the same here with this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy against the Spirit. You can't do this by mistake and then miss out forever. Because that's not what this unforgivable sin is. This is blasphemy against the Spirit. It's being so fixed in your view against Jesus that you'll reject him no matter what. This is how one commentator put it. He said it indicates a hardening against God which is deliberate and irreversible. It's an irreversible Rejection of Jesus. So you see, this is not something you can do by accident, is it? 
if you're anything like me at this point, you want to ask the question, well, what if somebody's like that for part of their life, but then later on they want to turn back to Jesus? Will Jesus forgive them then? Two things I want to say in that. Firstly, we actually don't know what's going on in someone's heart. That's something that only God can truly know. So this should never be a reason for us to give up on someone. But secondly then, if someone does want to turn back to Jesus, doesn't it suggest that they've never really got to that point? They've never got to the point that they would reject Jesus no matter what? Because look, here they are. They're wanting to turn to him. They're not rejecting anymore. And on top of that, don't we know people from the Bible who are like this? People who seem very hardened to Jesus, and yet they did turn back, and they were forgiven. The greatest example of this is surely the Apostle Paul. He spoke publicly against the Christian message. He put Christians in jail because of what they believed. He made it his ambition to destroy the whole Jesus movement, and yet when he turned back, and when he asked for forgiveness... He was forgiven. Even though he would call himself the worst of sinners for what he did, he was forgiven. And so I just want to spend the rest of our time together taking a bit of a deeper dive on forgiveness and and, and think through that question, how can we really be sure we are forgiven? Uh, People know Billy Graham? Yeah, yeah, you kind of... Billy Graham, the great kind of evangelist from yesteryear, he came to Australia three times, and the third time he came here in 1979, he was uh, interviewed on TV by a guy called Mike Willisey. Mike Willisey was a very big journalist back at this point, and uh, they're having a conversation on, the, on, on, the, on this uh, program, and at one point, Mike Willisey says to him, Dr. Graham, do you think you will go to heaven? And Billy Graham's response caused a bit of a stir because he said, I don't just think I'm going to heaven, Mike. I know I'm going to heaven. This caused a bit of a stir because here's this brash, confident American preacher and why is he so confident about his eternity? How could this, be so, how could this guy be so sure that God is going to be okay with him? How could he be sure he was forgiven? As I said before, it's a common thing today, whether you're a believer in Jesus or you're not quite sure what you think, it's a common thing to worry about if you'd be okay with God. Will God really forgive you? We can have moments where we think, am I really sure that God is okay with me? And we can start to wonder, I've got this stuff in my past and surely God won't be okay with that, will he? And can, can, can think to ourselves, maybe, maybe God kind of just, just barely tolerates me most of the time. But what if I fall into that sin again? Surely that's going to push God over the edge with me. You know, I could never do enough for God that he would forgive me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I am unforgivable. And... And we worry about this stuff, don't we? Deep down, God couldn't be happy with me. Surely, surely there must be some kind of anger, residual anger that he still feels towards me, right? Have you ever ever found yourself with those thoughts? 
there are some places in the world where they get um, severe storms rolling through. You know, big, big storms. I'm talking you know, thunder, lightning, the whole shebang. Which is really impressive to look at and you can capture some great photos. But it's also very dangerous. All that lightning can be serious. It can do damage. It can cause a threat to people's lives. So what they do in these cities is they set up the lightning rods on top of the tallest buildings around town. And so when the lightning strikes, all the force is focused into one place. At one moment, the lightning rod absorbs it all and it takes it away safely. Friends, that is what it's like with the death of Jesus. At one moment in history, at one place, all of the right anger of God is directed at one person. Every wrong thing we've done, past, present and future, all focused down to one point, absorbed by one man. Jesus is our lightning rod. He takes the fullness, the totality of God's judgment on our sin and shame. One innocent man bearing the punishment for the guilty. And he did it, friends, so that we could be spared. So let me ask you again. What makes you think you are forgiven? What do you need to do to be forgiven? Is it that if, if, if you are genuinely sorry, if you, 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 you have an authentic feeling of sorrow over your sin, that God forgives you? Is it that you'll be forgiven if your life is good enough from now on? You know, you may have done some stuff, the past may be murky, but as long as you do enough of the right things now, then, then, then God will forgive you? Is it that you are forgiven? Because if you do stuff, you know, lots of stuff for God in this life, you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church and you serve at church and you do good in the community and you give money to good causes, God's going to see all this stuff and he'll overlook the rest. Is that it? You know the answer, don't you? None of these things are enough. None of them can be the lightning rod that we need. None of these can give us any confidence in the long term that we will be forgiven. And God knows this. Which is why Jesus came into the world. Which is why on the cross he took all our sins on himself. Which is why he took the anger, the judgment on himself. So there would be none left for you and I. The basis of our forgiveness, friends is Jesus and Jesus alone. You might have been going to church for any length of time, all your life maybe, and this is not new, but isn't this exactly the thing that we need to be reminded of over and over again, that our hearts need to dwell on time and time again? Billy Graham told Mike Willisey in front of a whole Australian audience he knew he was going to heaven. Why did he know this? Well, he went on to say these words. He says, I know I'm going to heaven. And it's not because I'm Billy Graham and I've preached to a few people in my time. And it's not because I'm a good man. God knows I'm a sinner. 
The point is, I know what my future holds because I'm trusting Jesus. Our forgiveness is secure. Our forgiveness is something we can be confident in, not because of who we are, not because of what we do, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Trust him, friends. Not ourselves, but him. I want to end then by telling you a story. To get into this story, we need to um, be kind of trans... We need to go back, way back into the 1500s. Not, not in Australia anymore, but we're back in Germany. Uh, and um, in this story, there's a young guy and he's walking... Um, uh, he's a uni student. He's heading home from uni back to where his family lived. And as he's going home, as he's walking back, there's a huge storm that hits where he's at. You know, the rain, the thunder, the lightning. Of course, he's walking. There's no such thing as cars back then to travel around in. So he's in the middle of nowhere, like storm is raging on. He's getting wet. It's windy. It's uncomfortable. The thunder is rumbling. And then suddenly, very close to him, uh, lightning struck and hit the ground. And it was so intense, it kind of knocked him to the ground. And this guy now, he is scared for his life. He realises that at any moment, that could be it for him. And he knows in himself, he is not ready to die and to face God. So, he does the only thing he can think of doing. He prays to Saint Anne. In fact, he bargains with Saint Anne. Saint Anne was thought to be the one who would protect you from storms. He bargains with her and he says, if you'll protect me from this storm, then I'll give up my dream of being a lawyer and I'll become a monk. So he tries to shelter from the storm as best as he can and after a bit of time, the storm passes over, he survives. What does he do at that point? Much to his father's displeasure, he does become a monk. Many of his friends thought he would go back on his vow, but he doesn't. You might think as a monk, then, this guy becomes more and more confident of his place before God. You know, he's doing all this stuff for God. How good is it? But that's not the case. He was worried before in the storm about meeting his maker, but becoming a monk only made it worse because now he's reading the Bible all the time. And as he reads the Bible, he can't help but notice God is a holy God. He is good, but who am I? I am a sinner. I have no right to think I could come before God. He, he grew in dread, in fear, that he couldn't do enough for God. No matter how much religious stuff he does, nothing stops his worries. I'm not there. One day I'm going to meet my maker and he won't accept me. It won't be good for me. This worry lasted a long time in his life until he stumbled upon a different part of the Bible and he studied it in a way that he hadn't before. And he realized this part of the Bible was talking about Jesus and Jesus' death for him and how by dying for us, Jesus paid the price for us. And so now Jesus can guarantee us forgiveness if we trust him. 
Because this forgiveness wasn't based on what we do and how much energy we have. This forgiveness was based on what Jesus had already done for us. Some of you might know this story. This is a story of Martin Luther. Uh, He kind of rediscovered this truth for the Western world and um, it changed the Western world. It changed him as well. He went from being a guy who was constantly worried, constantly fearful of God and meeting God, worried about his failures, to being a guy who was confident, secure in the knowledge that he was forgiven. Two quick things to finish. First, are you worried that you might have done the unforgivable sin? Friends, don't be. The very fact that you're worried about that shows that it's just not true of you. That that irreversible rejection of Jesus is not something that you'd be worried about. Sorry, it can be something you'd be worried about. Let me start that again. That irreversible rejection of Jesus is not something that you're going to do if you're worried about it. Take this time, if you're fearful, to remember that your sins are forgiven, that you're secure if you put your trust in Jesus. Second thing, the forgiveness that Jesus offers is a stunning thing, friends. Are you a believer? Today, there's not, I'm not going to give you a big thing to go away and do this week. But just hear this. Recapture again some of the wonder of being forgiven. Let your heart dwell on that truth and rejoice, friends. Maybe you hear that when you're not really sure about all this Jesus stuff. I hope today has given you a little bit more of an insight into why we reckon Jesus is just so special. Maybe you're keen to dig into this a bit more. Why not grab me later? Or grab someone that you know here, that you trust. I'm sure I speak the truth when I say we'd love to walk with you as you dig into this more, as you figure more out about Jesus. Let me pray for us. God in heaven to know that we can stand before you, even now, forgiven, accepted. That is huge news. Thank you that that doesn't depend on us and what we might do, but depends wholly on Jesus and what he has already done for us. In moments of doubt, Father, we pray that you would help our eyes be turned to Jesus and know the truth of our forgiveness and to be secure in that. We pray, Father, that this would stay with us. Our trust in Jesus would stay with us until the day we meet you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.